0: We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Happy New Year! Year. Wow, Happy New Year to everyone. Listen, I love New Year moments because there's a sense of fresh opportunity about it. It's not just a new year, it's a new decade. How'd your last 10 years go? You know, it's funny when you get to reflect over pockets of time, whether it's reflecting back over one year or reflecting over 10 years. There are things I wish I had done 10 years ago that I didn't do. There are some things I am glad I did 10 years ago. Now, 10 years later, we're at the cusp of a brand new year and a brand new decade. And there's probably a series of questions you ask yourself. There are a series of questions that I ask myself. One of the questions I always ask myself at these moments is what's next. Now, you know why I do that? Because I'm still alive. If you're still alive, you should always be asking that question. What's next? What's next? What, because you've been there, but 2020 is not 219. It's not 2009. It's 2020. So what's next? And coupled with that is one of my favorite questions. What needs to change? Because I know if there's going to be a next, it's going to require some change. Now, those are questions that help me reorientate how I'm going to live my life forward. Are there new habits I should be working on? Are there areas of my life that I should be reflecting on? There's another question I ask that I think we all ask ourselves probably from time to time here. How should I invest? How should I invest? You know, it's easy to think of it in terms of tangible ways that maybe are more natural to us. Like certainly our time. Because time is Can you say that with me? Time is? It's limited. You have limited amount of time. So turn to the person next to you and say, I have a little less time than I had in 2019. You do. Time is limited. So don't waste it. Some of us waste a lot of time and we're investing in relationships that are filled with drama, 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 drama. We're wasting, we waste a lot of our times on rabbit trails in life, not essential things in life. Isn't that true, friends? Every once in a while, you need to take stock of your time. Don't go around wasting it. Why? Because it's limited. It's not just limited time. We also have resources. And our resources are, can you say it with me? Finite. I've never met the person with infinite resources except God. Every one of us have a finite amount of of resources. Do you waste them? Well, sure. Sure, we, we all waste some resources along the way, don't we? You, anyone ever have buyer's regret? Yeah. Anyone try to return something you had buyer's regret for and you couldn't? Yeah, that's an even deeper regret. We, we waste resources all the time. But again, it's always important to be asking these questions because we have a limited amount of time. How am I going to use it this year? I have a limited amount of resources. How am I going to invest them in this year? And of course, it's easy in a church context right here to understand where these things have a natural landing point because we talk about them with some frequency here. Serving. I've never regretted the time I've given to serve other people. I've never regretted that. Last week, I had two of the finest men in our church, ushers and security. After 30-some years of serving in that role, they officially retired last week. And they're still serving communion, and they're still with us, and they're wonderful people. But 30 years of serving, 30 years of investing their time in serving other people, boy, you'll never regret that. What a great investment. And then I, I just talked about it in the video, you know, giving, uh, I, I, storing up treasure now in heaven, sending it on before me by making sure that I'm strategically investing in the kingdom. But these are the things I'm not going to talk about at all today. That's, that's, that was just the intro. That's just to help get our minds in this headspace because I want to talk to you about investing something that we don't often talk about making it an investment, but it's really critical we do. Or we lose the benefit of it. So time is one. Giving is one. Here's the one I want to talk to you about, though. Because it's... Okay, so, so this, of which I will not speak, is inevitable. Inevitable. Here's what I know. I don't need a crystal ball for this. I know what 2020 will have many great moments ahead. Many joy-filled moments, happy moments, good moments. 2020 will also have some hard moments, difficult moments, painful moments. I know I can predict the decade ahead for you, individually. I know that you are gonna have some great moments in the next 10 years, woo! And you're gonna have some tough moments in the next 10 years, woo! See, this is true of us individually, it's true of us as families. Our families will have pinched moments, pain-filled moments. Is it not true in a family? It just takes one person. One person going through a tough time, one person making bad decisions, and doesn't it affect everyone in the family? Pain is kind of part of the process of being in community there. It also affects married couples. If you're married, I don't care how long you've been married. You're going to have moments where you're going to feel pain, where there's going to be some suffering, where it's going to be challenging. There are going to be dry seasons. It's normal. If you're single, you're going to have moments that are going to feel pain-filled, lonely, or challenging. Those are normal parts, and it's the same for a church. It's not just the same for individuals. It's the same for a church community. We're in a culture right now that it's challenging for churches across this nation. A thousand churches closing per year in this nation. It's a challenging season. Churches feel pain often in seasons of change, just like you do. And as you go through them, here's the gift of them though you really see what we're made out of. When you get bumped, you see what's inside of people. When a church gets bumped, you see what's inside of it. It's an opportunity. Don't miss the investment. Don't miss the investment because there's an incredible reward that comes with it. We'll talk about it later. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Next week, we start the Jesus Project. Can't wait to get into that. But this week is just the buffer, and we're starting in Hebrews chapter 12. But I know this, and I'll, I'll jump to the, kind of the reward part so you see it right in front of us. He said this, that after we've gone through the pain, the suffering, the trials, the difficulties, the setbacks, we, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those that are trained in this way. A peaceful harvest of right living. So here's the truth. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of people that have been beaten down. They're discouraged. They feel like giving up. And the writer of Hebrews doesn't do it just to say, hey, buck up. Uh, the part of Hebrews is saying, listen, this is normal. We all face challenging moments, but I want to help you not just go through it. I want to help you get stronger, more resilient. I want to help you invest in this season. I'm going to do it by helping you reframe the way you perceive it and the way you approach it. Reframing something changes everything. In fact, I'm going to show you a little video. It's a commercial. I laughed my head off when I saw it. You may not. But here's the story, a guy walks into a convenience store and he's got his headphones in and he's talking to his friend on his cell phone. And his friend is building a deck and he got a price on the deck from a contractor. And the guy in the convenience store, while he's talking to him, says, well, you're getting robbed, meaning he's he's paying way too... uh, Just watch the video. Hello. How much are they asking? Well, that's a lot of money for a deck. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're getting robbed. Now, did you hear me? You're getting robbed. Oh, stop, stop. 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 Okay, okay. A little bit of my humor there. Here's the interesting thing not everything is as it appears to be. Not everything that sounds a certain way is as it actually is. Here's the thing, though. If you don't reframe the way you see pain, trouble, suffering, whatever it might be, if you take it wrong, you'll react wrong, just like in the video. They took it wrong. There was totally different context. And they reacted wrong, and they invested wrong. Here's the problem in a lot of things in life when we encounter difficulties. We take it wrong, we invest it wrong, or we react wrong, and we invest it wrong. And we miss all of the good that can come from it. Now, here's the truth. Hebrews is probably more important today than it's ever been. And I really invite you to read Hebrews 12 on your own this year, this week, if you can. Hebrews 12 unpacks a little bit of this because we've never lived in a culture less ready to deal with the brutal realities of life than we do right now. Our friends, we've never lived in a culture with such a low threshold of pain. We've never lived in a culture that shouts so quickly, screams so quickly. In fact, I I, I feel like our culture's lost its grip on reality in many ways. It was interesting, I was reading about a funeral director, and I know we have some previous funeral directors actually in the room, and this guy was reflecting on how his industry's changed over the years, and he said, I used to do burials for dead Christians, or dead Muslims, or dead Hindus, and people of faith. And he said, now I do, well, I do funerals for dead golfers, and dead bikers, and dead yoga instructors. And he said, we've become known for what we do, not who we are anymore. It's almost like we've lost our grip of reality. And the writer in Hebrews is giving us a gift. Now, friends, I want you to know this guy's spitting bars in chapter 12. It's incredible what he's saying. And in chapter 12, verse 1, he starts out with an analogy. He sets it all up. And this goes back to the emotion series. And in May, I spoke a little bit on this first verse that we're going to look at. But but I'm going to reflect on it. And then we're going to move forward. He starts off and he says, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. He likens this life to be like a race. Like you and I are in a race in 2020, in the decade ahead. What's interesting, though, is that word for race in the Greek is the word agana, And it's where we get the modern-day word for agony. Ah, He's saying, okay, guys, you're in a race. You're actually in a struggle. There's agony in this life. This is what I love about Hebrews. He tells the truth the whole way. He doesn't sugarcoat it. In fact, the word for race that is translated there, where we get modern-day agony, can either mean race or wrestling. It's one or two. It was interchangeable. Depending on the context of the sentence, it could go either way. So I kind of rewrote. I rewrote a portion of Scripture here. (laughs) In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, I kind of rewrote it to say this. Let us make progress in the wrestling match God has set before us. Some of you have lived long enough to know life can feel like a wrestling match. A good wrestling match requires great preparation there are moments of rest in it. There are moments of great exertion of energy. It's strategic, you're thinking, you're responding, you're reacting, and you're initiating. And that's more what life is like. And here's the thing, if you're in a wrestling match, you better know what you're doing. So I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna do three things. One, I'm gonna help you reframe the whole idea of pain Reframe your perspective and then reframe our practice. Let's start with reframing your pain. Reframing your pain. If life is a struggle and there are difficulties ahead and that's inevitable, why not invest it so you can get some good from it? So the first thing you do, you need to reframe your pain. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to help them do this. He actually starts by saying this. He says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's not easy, it's not enjoyable to go through tough moments, strenuous moments, stress-filled moments, difficult moments. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Really, the key to understanding it here, there's a promise, there's a reality check here. It's the word trained. In the Greek, it's where we get the word gymnasium from. And he's kind of doing something brilliant here. He's trying to reframe the way you see pain. And he's saying, listen, when you encounter pain, think of it more like you're going to the gym. Think of it more like an exertion. Think of it more like training for yourself. See, physical exercise is interesting, isn't it? In order to be physically healthy, you're going to have to sweat, you're going to have to hurt a little bit. Physical training pain, I'm not just talking about physical pain, but physical training and the pain that comes with it is how you get physical growth and strength. It's repetitive. You do it over and over. And he's saying that it's a lot like that when it comes to maturing with the trials and difficulties and setbacks we experience in life. So I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking about weights. Because, you know, we lift weights, and what is this dumbbell designed to do? Now, it's interesting. We'll probably put a a chip in this someday and call it a smart bell, but it's a dumbbell for now. And, And here's the interesting thing. This thing is designed to oppose the natural motion of my muscles, right? My arm wants to naturally move this way. This opposes that movement. It puts stress on my muscles. It resists my normal movement. It is my opposition. It's working well when it's a, opposing my motion. It's resisting. It's adding stress. stress. It's challenging me. And we all know that that's the place where growth happens. Growth doesn't happen while I'm looking at it. Growth doesn't happen when I'm just naturally moving my arm. I need something pushing against my arm to grow it to actually physically become stronger. And the writer of Hebrews, he does this throughout the whole book, but I'm just looking at chapter 12 right now. He's saying tough times are necessary to grow maturity. Now, some of us don't believe that. Let me unpack it a little bit. Your faith won't grow without resistance. Some of us get caught up in a tradition, and the tradition goes like this, and they grab a scripture, which is a true scripture. It says faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of God. And they think faith grows by hearing more scripture and memorizing more scripture. That's not how faith grows. That's how you accumulate the tools that will grow your faith though. Faith grows when you have to exercise it. When you're actually coming up against something you can't control. When it's difficult and it's hard and you need to, that's why we say exercise your faith. You're experiencing resistance, opposition, challenge, stress, strain, operate your faith. That's how it begins to grow. Now, why does faith come from hearing the word of God? Well, because these are the moments where you lean back on the truths that you know that are true. If faith could grow just by learning, then the people who have memorized the most scriptures would be the most faith-filled among us. And we all know that's not the case. You can have a good memory and have low faith muscles. It's the exercising of our faith that grows us. It's the same with patience. Take patience, for example. If you need more patience in 2020, anyone there? <laughs> you know, patience only grows when it's taxed. Patience grows when you're at the end of your limit, especially if you've got a two-year-old at home, and you're not sure you can keep doing it. That's where patience grows. Patience grows when it's taxed. Courage. Where does courage grow? Courage grows when you're challenged. It's when you're challenged that courage grows. Courage doesn't just grow naturally without opposition. Your courage grows when it's tough. See, athletes understand this. Sometimes we miss this in everyday life, we don't apply it. Compassion. Compassion. If you need to be a more compassionate person, compassion only grows when it's tapped. When you're near the end of emptying that compassion bucket, that's where you find you had another gear. That's where you find you have a next step. And the key to understanding this is found in a little verse by the Apostle Paul that I misunderstood for years. Paul said this. He said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, when I was younger, I used to think, isn't that an interesting way to encourage yourself when you feel like garbage? Uh, I feel like garbage well, but you know when I feel like garbage then I'm strong. You know when I feel weak then I'm strong. And it hit me through some reading but also a trip to the gym one day. And I realized I was doing some bench pressing. I was trying to bench press and I was probably doing my I was doing a rep of like 60 reps. 10. Okay. 10. And I wasn't lifting what Pastor Keith was lifting on New Year's Eve. <laughs> that was amazing. But you ever notice when you're lifting, and I was lifting, and you you get there, and maybe you're in the 10th rep, and you never feel weaker. It's so hard to get that bar up. And I feel so weak, but that's actually the point where I'm becoming stronger. I feel weaker, but I'm actually, in that moment, becoming stronger. And so it is with the difficulties, trials, pain, and suffering we face in this life. In the moment, you feel like your faith has never been smaller and weaker, but it's actually getting stronger. In the moment, you feel like your patience has never been shorter, but it's being tested now and has the opportunity to grow, and it's actually being lengthened. It's growing in that moment. See, the truth is the weaker we feel we're getting, the stronger we're getting. If we invest well, I'm going to show you how to do that. See, you've got to reframe the way we see pain. And this is what the whole book of Hebrews is based on. Because the people there, those Hebrew Christians, they were going through tough times, friends. They felt like giving up. The difficulties they were facing in life was incredible. The resistance, the opposition, the pain. And he's trying to say, guys, you're looking at this all wrong. You're actually becoming stronger. So... Pastor Keith is so good at this. He comes up with these little phrases that are memorable. And he's so much better than me. But I worked hard at it this week. So I want you just to appear to be odd. You can just appear to be impressed. But it's not that impressive, actually. Here's the the way I'd sum this up. Reframe your present pain. Reimagine it as future gain. Oh, yeah. See, see, see. (laughs) This is kindness. Someone early in 2020 is trying to be kind. Reframe your present pain, reimagine it as future gain. And I was thinking about this week, you know, childbirth is very traumatic and painful and difficult on us guys. And, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I remember when well, we had our first child, and, uh, you know, guys, if you've ever walked alongside someone I had the privilege of, I'd never thought. Uh, I didn't know Shelly was that strong. Uh, I couldn't get over it. Was, uh, it was probably 18 hours of labor. Now she'll probably tell me exactly because she knows exactly. These details are a little fuzzy on me because I was watching TV. Uh, no, you, you know, it's interesting though, when you go through childbirth and you've walked with people who go through childbirth, it's a lot of pain. And I'm told it's pain unlike anything else. But as long as Shelly can hold on to future gain. There's fight in her. She doesn't cave and turtle in the moment. But if all that was, was she's just going to keep experiencing that pain, do you think she'd be here today? You'd give up a long time ago. If you don't reframe what you're going through, if you can't find the future gain in it, And I got to tell you, when you're in the middle of it, you need others to help you see the future gain. It's very difficult for you to see it in the middle of it. That's why even when Shelly was giving birth, I was the one in her face as she's pushing in the contractions and the pain and the difficulty saying, you can do this. You can do this. Because on the other side of it would be a son. There was future gain there from our present pain. You need to reframe the way you see pain, suffering, and trials, because it's inevitable in 2020, it's inevitable in this next decade, and you know, friends, you don't have to get beaten up, and you don't have to become weaker, you can become stronger through it. Here's the second thing they said. Also, reframe your perspective. Your perspective. This is really the key, why? Because I'm going to sum up the problem with our perspective when it comes to pain and suffering and trials and difficulties. And the word is simply this, expectations. Expectations. If I go into 2020 or I go into this new decade and I don't expect setbacks, difficulties, trials, or trouble, I'm going to be devastated every time they come into my life. Devastated. It's no different when you get involved in a relationship with someone. And you bring in expectations, and they bring in expectations. And if you guys cohabitate for any length of time, you're married, and you, you, you move in together, and you realize quickly, as much as we have talked before we got married, we have different expectations. And what happens? Conflict, and difficulty, and challenge, and stress, and strain. And a lot of people abandon marriage prematurely where all the gold was on the other side of that difficulty, struggle, and stress, and strain. This is why Shelly and I have been very vocal over the years to tell you, our first number of years of marriage, man, if it wasn't for Jesus, I don't know if we would have done it. It was just, I mean, she was so difficult, and I was so good. and, and it, it was a, But it was seriously a very challenging season, but I'm so thankful we invested in it. And we reframed some of that, and some of the perspective And the vantage point by which we saw things. Expectations are important. Otherwise, every time I'm in trouble, in pain, I won't see it like a trip to the gym. I won't see the tough times becoming defining times. Have you ever noticed the people I respect most in this life? Here's something I'll tell you. This is the truth. The people I respect most in this life are the people that I've seen, what came out of them when they were under pressure, when the pain was tough, when the trouble was intense and the suffering was there. That's where reputations are made and that's where reputations are lost. They're made in those moments. When I see somebody in the middle of all of it and faithfulness comes out of them and steadfast, I, uh, when I see good things come out of them in those moments, I, when I see them turn the other cheek, when I see them do that, I'm just sitting there going like, whoa, whoa. That guy is so much bigger than I thought he was. That woman is so much stronger than I thought she was. And equally, sometimes it's been disappointing over the years. Where I've saw people that I held here. I saw them under pressure. I saw pain and trouble and everything come in their life. And it was a defining moment. It actually became more of a clarifying moment. I saw who they really were. Now, we can all have bad moments. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about patterns. But if we prepare in advance and we redefine or reframe our perspective, and in verses 5 to 10 of Hebrews chapter 12, the writer does that. He reframes our perspective. Now, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to select a couple of verses to help us see it. He changes metaphors. That's what he does in verses 5 to 10. He goes from this idea of being in a race, which I kind of like because it has a competitive part to it. It's kind of fun. To that of us being children and God our Father. He changes completely the metaphor. When you're speaking or a preacher, you don't like to mix metaphors because it takes a little bit more time. But the writer does this on purpose. Because he knows if you're going through pain, trouble, suffering right now, if you're grieving and you're going through tough times, you don't want a gym teacher saying, Give me five more reps. You want a good father that comes along and says, hey, son, let me carry that for you. We need kindness in those moments. And the writer says, he's a good father. In fact, this is how he says it in verse 6. He says, for the Lord disciplines those he, can you say this word with me? The Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he loves it's a little quieter. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes those he accepts as his child. Now, the key to understanding this is that word discipline. That word discipline is a Greek word, and it's, um, let me see how I'm going to pronounce it, paideia, paideia. And it's where we get the modern day word for pediatrics. You know what a pediatrician is? It's a doctor that takes care of children. And what is the kind of oath and mission of a pediatrician? To make sure the children are healthy and that they're flourishing. But does a pediatrician introduce pain into a child's life? Yes. Yeah, it does. Vaccination needles. And the baby cries. And the baby doesn't understand at all why it's going through this but the pediatrician's trying to make sure that you've got a good future. The pediatrician, have you ever noticed, I don't know why they do this and someone will come up to me after because we have so many nurses and doctors in our church, but, but they, they'll strip the baby down and put him on a scale and it's cold and the baby wants comfort and warmth and, and it begins crying as it's on the scale because every little ounce matters when they're little and every little ounce matters that they're growing. And, and so the pediatrician weighs it and it brings discomfort into the child's life to make sure that it's comfortable long-term, that it's healthy long-term. See, the reason why it's important you know that is when we hear discipline, we hear punishment. You gotta understand, no, 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 no. God is... His greatest work is refashioning us into his image, refining us, making us the version of ourselves that God really wanted us to be. But don't, don't, uh, let's go back to the last verse. Let's not lose the fact, though, the, that he punishes each one he accepts as his child. One of the greatest gifts I received growing up was consequences. Consequences. In fact, now my mom's not here today, so I can say this Uh, because she says, she's blocked out all the trauma of raising five kids or six kids and five of us one year apart. But we remember all of her little expressions. One of her favorite expressions would be when us four boys would be fighting and things would be going all over the place. She'd wave her finger at us. You will suffer the consequences when your father gets home. That was her favorite saying. You will suffer, or you're cruising for a bruising. That was the other one she used to say to us all the time. Consequences are great gifts. But let me ask you this, when you've suffered consequences, have they felt like a gift when you've been in the middle of them? Now, how many of you are old enough and mature enough to look over your shoulder and say, listen, I'm at a stage in life where I can say, I'm thankful my parents disciplined me. Here's here's the thing with discipline though. If, If you don't punish, if there's no consequences, if your child's a liar, If your child lies and you never, they never have any consequences for lying, here's the problem. You're condemning them to be lonely the rest of their lives because nobody trusts a liar. They'll be in community, but no one's going to trust them. They never feel connected. And here's the other problem. They won't trust anyone because liars don't trust other people. They think everyone's a liar. That's why a little bit of discipline allows them To become a better version of themselves. See friends. When it comes to discipline. uh, Paideia is not retribution. It's not payback. It's the idea that God will allow some things to happen in our lives. So that we can actually change. To become the best version of ourselves. Here's what he says in verse 10. He says this. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years. Doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, here's the problem when you're going through discipline. It's always a mixed bag, isn't it, friends? If you're you're a parent, you know your discipline's a mixed bag. Sometimes you mean it for the good of your kids. Sometimes you're just angry at your child, aren't you? Or sometimes, often what it is, it's a combination of both. But when you're being disciplined, doesn't it always feel like too much? Too hard? Too long? When you're in the middle of a timeout, when you're a child, wasn't it always too long? Wasn't wasn't all the discipline always too hard from your vantage point? When they took away things as a consequence, didn't it always feel like too much at the time? It always does. It always does. Now, I need to just insert a little caveat to say this. I don't want anyone leaving here saying, Jonathan, are you saying that God brings evil and suffering into my life to change me? No, no. God hates evil and suffering. God never created evil and suffering. If you want to understand what God's will is, go back to the Garden of Eden. That was his will. We brought evil and suffering to the party. And here's what I'm saying, and here's what the Scripture would say over and over. Because you can see God went to great lengths to end evil and suffering, and it will end someday. It will end now someday. Jesus was angered at death and evil and suffering when he encountered it on this earth. But what he's saying is that outside of us, there's brokenness. There's brokenness outside of you, isn't there, in this world? We see it all around us. Conflicts, war, destruction, disease. Uh, poverty, racism, sexism. We see all of this brokenness outside of us. This world is filled with it. But there's also brokenness inside of you. Inside of you, inside of me. Foolishness. Cowardness. I've watched people so courageous in quadrants of their life, but such a coward in sharing their faith. We, We all have this in And I say that, I've got this in me. We have foolishness. We have cowardness. You know what we, we all have? Every one of us has in spades in this room? A lack of self-awareness. That's why you need people in your life. We have a selfishness inside of us. And here's what I mean. God the Father, who didn't design this evil and imperfect and pain-filled world to operate as it does, he, God allows external brokenness to intersect with our internal brokenness so he can bring wholeness. God allows external brokenness, it rains on the just and the unjust, to intersect with our internal brokenness to bring wholeness. See, God will use difficult things to move me from blindness to self-awareness, from selfishness to generosity, from, from cowardness to courage. And the Bible is filled with example after example of this. I'm probably none better than Joseph, right? Joseph was one, fa- one of the most amazing men in Scripture. If you don't know the story, let me give you the Coles Notes version. Coles Notes was a, something we used to buy when we were teenagers. I don't know if they even make them anymore. So. Uh, he's one of many brothers, but he's special. Jacob, who practiced polygamy back in the day, wasn't God's plan, wasn't God's will, but he had more than one wife. But he had one wife that he loved most, and her name was Rachel, and he made an idol out of Rachel. And when Rachel died, he made an idol out of Rachel's son, Joseph. And he injected poison into the family in the form of favoritism. And it affected everything around them. And what it did is it it toxified Joseph. Joseph was spoiled. Joseph was in danger of becoming a proud and evil man. And God allowed the jealousy of his brother's external brokenness to intersect with his internal brokenness, Joseph's, and he ends up being thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. And then God allows Potiphar's wife's lust and her external brokenness to intersect with his internal brokenness, and he ends up in a prison. I mean, it's it's a terrible story. It's external brokenness interacting with internal brokenness, but we know the end of the story. Joseph actually turns out to be a great man. Joseph actually turns out to be a humble man, a wise man, an incredibly strong man. At the end of his life, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he looks at his brothers and he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. What good could come from being in a prison? What good could come from being in slavery? What good could... See, Joseph... Invested those difficult moments and it produced rightful living and peaceful living. It changed him from the inside out. It transformed him. It made him brand new. Reframe your pain to imagine, reimagine future gain. Here's the last one. Reframe the destruction. Reimagine it as construction. Think about this. When Joseph was in Potiphar's house as a slave, did you notice the story if you read it? He quickly rises up to run the whole house. Why? He was so constructive, even as a slave, that he was built up and he learned leadership skills there. Then he was sent to prison on trumped-up charges. And he's sent to prison. It's a destructive place. And what does he do? He turns it into a construction site. Everybody's coming to him for wisdom. It's his pathway out. And now when he's out, he's ready. He is ready for the next challenge. Why don't you be the number two in the nation of Egypt? And you're going to save not only this land, you're going to save your people. He was never ready for that had not those things intersected with his life. So reframe your pain, reframe your perspective. Here's the last one, we're almost done. Reframe your practice. This has to do with how you posture yourself when you're going through pain Struggles, difficulties, and challenge. And the first word is one I use often around here because it's so important. You do it with humility. You know why I love humble people? Is because humble people are learners. Proud people stopped learning a long time ago. Humble people are hungry people. They know they've not arrived. They know there's more to grow in. Humility is this pathway for growth. And that's why I think the writer in Hebrews pulls in that metaphor of, remember, he's the father and you're the child. Because back to what I was saying earlier, a child doesn't have a good sense of understanding that this will end sometime. And we don't. Whenever we're going through pain, suffering, trials, difficulties, even discipline, we always are going to think, and you're always going to think, it's too long. It's too hard and it's too much. You're always going to. Why? Because you're a child. You're always going to think it. It's only in hindsight. Some of you have lived long enough to know that too hard, too long, too tough time actually built you and made you. Some of the things that I went through allow me to do what I'm doing today. People want moments that whatever your industry is or wherever you are, people want platform moments with none of the private pain. And you can't have those. These are the types of things that build your character and build your resilience and become who you are. Here's the problem, though. If you go through it alone, it's too much, too long, too hard, and you're going to give up. That's why you need community. That's why we make such a big deal out of community groups around here. This is why humility is the key. If you don't have humility, you're going to try to feel like, I can take care of things. I've got this. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. You know, your personality might be even more introvert. Listen, don't let your pride blind you. That even though you might be like alone time, you need people time. Because when you're going through it, you need encouragement. Courage is in the middle of that. You need to be put in a place of courage. If you're around people, friends, who are suffering, going through difficult times right now, you've got one job in your job description. It's not to point out why they're there. It's to encourage them, to bring them place to, so they don't give up. You need people in your life so you won't give up when you feel like giving up. It requires humility to share the tough times with others. Uh, you know, it's probably a guide thing. It's probably a North American thing. There's a lot of pride trying to do in life by yourself. Here's the danger, and I've seen this countless times in churches, countless times. People are okay doing life, and they don't do these things. They don't get involved with other people, and they do life all by themselves, and then life gets so bad, and then they start pointing fingers. Where's my family? Well, you didn't need them. You didn't invest in them. Where's the church? I, I, I've been missing for weeks, and nobody's called. Did you ever invest in community? Did we even know you were here? Here's the thing that pride will deceive you of over and over. It makes you feel like you can do it alone. And you can until you can't. And every one of us is imperfect people in this room. And we all need other people in our lives. And God gives community for that reason, for encouragement. Okay, next one. Obedience. Obedience. Why obedience? Why obedience? Well, obedience is interesting because the word endure is used over and over in the book of Hebrews. And in the Greek, it literally means to hyperstand, meaning don't budge. And the writer of Hebrews keeps saying, if you're going through tough times, not only be humble enough to be in community with others, but also hyperstand, don't budge. Because he knows all of us have this tendency to retreat from people, to retreat from praying, to retreat by ourselves and retreat from what we normally do in our everyday activities. Why? Well, if you've ever had an animal, you know many animals when they're wounded or they're close to death, they'll go and hide and they'll die by themselves. And a lot of people do this. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't budge. You want to retreat, but don't. Keep doing your normal activities. Keep praying. Keep helping other people. I'm in pain, I know, but keep helping other people. All of these things are part of his plan for you to help not only get through this, but grow through this. So here's the two things. Pastor Keith has said this so many times over the years in different ways, but I'm gonna just kind of sum it up this way. When you're in that place of suffering and trouble, there's two things you need to remember. Do the right thing and do the next thing. Do the right thing and do the next thing. The right thing because there's going to be a temptation to do the wrong thing. You remember what I said earlier. You know, you're going to react and then invest wrong if you're not careful. And some of us look for comfort, which is normal. But be careful. Do the right thing and then do the next thing. Do do what you know to do that's good and right. God will see you through the season. Last one is this. Simply examine, examine. There is nothing like This is the incredible investment. When you're going through tough times, what an incredible moment to examine yourself. When we come to moments of communion, in the book of Corinthians, Paul would talk about this, about examining yourself. Where are you at? Just pause and see where you're at. It's like going to the gym. Do you ever notice gym clothes? Especially the way they're made right now. They're made to show you exactly why you're in the gym. You see every imperfection there. You're not in a suit or a dress that covers everything. No, 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 no. I can see exactly why you need to be here. And suffering does the same thing. You can see all your imperfections. If you listen and you examine close enough, you realize how driven you and controlled you really are by fear. How much worry consumes you. How much pride is in there. And it all comes out in those moments. This is an amazing gift and an opportunity to look in the mirror and say, God, what do you want to work on next? What do you want to work on next? There are moments of things I'm willing to let go of when I'm in pain that I was never let, willing to let go of when I was doing great. Have you ever noticed at stages in life when you have to scale down, you're incredibly able to? But when you didn't have to, you were unable to. There's a gift in this moment where you can actually change. Now, where do you get the motivation to do all this? Think of your Jesus. Why would he come to earth and endure the cross? It says in Scripture, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I want you to imagine what Jesus had everything he wanted in heaven, everything. He lacked nothing in heaven. What could compel him to leave his home in heaven and come here to earth? What was the joy set before him? You. He's so madly in love with you. He cares so much about you. And if you're in pain and suffering or troubles right now, I'm sure you have an adversary whispering in your ear that he's forgotten you, and that's a lie. I'm sure you have an adversary whispering in your ear, he doesn't care, that's a lie. I'm sure you have an adversary whispering in your ear that you deserve to be here. That's a lie. It rains on the just and the unjust. Pain and destruction or difficulties or setbacks or troubles, they're inevitable. Don't waste them, invest them. You'll become stronger through it. Your faith will thrive in it and you will become something you you never were before, a better version. Let's pray. Well, God, my heart's with uh, one group of people in particular today. And that's those who are in the middle of pain and suffering and trouble. But God, I I firstly, I I pray for all of us in this room and everyone online. For the year ahead, God, there are gonna be incredibly great moments, moments where our hearts will be filled with laughter and joy. And God, I pause in this moment and I just thank you, God, for the people who bring laughter and joy into our lives. The people who are a little silly, the people that make us giggle on occasion, the people that when we see them coming, we kind of get a, a, a bop in our step, God. God, thank you for those people, Jesus. Uh, they're a gift to us. And we don't pause enough to thank you for them. Thank you for them, God. God, I pray though for every great moment we have, every promotion, every pat on the back, Every, every moment of laughter and joy and every marriage, every child that will come into this world, every, all of these great moments, God. God, may we not forget you in these moments because we have a tendency to do that. But God, instead, may we look great right to you, the son. You're the, where our help comes from. And God, I pray for the inevitable moments that we'll all experience a little setbacks, challenges at work, conflict, Maybe even some health things or whatever may be coming our way in 2020. God, I pray right now we would make a decision to reframe our pain. And we would imagine ourselves going to the gym. Okay, God, I didn't look for this. I don't want this. But I'm prepared to lift what I need to lift right now to become stronger. I'm not going to waste this moment. And God, I pray too, Jesus, for, for those in this room that maybe the perspective part is very hard for them because they're in the middle of it right now. Remind ourselves, we're like kids. It's normal to lose our bearings. But God, I pray, Jesus, that we would start to see the constructive things we can do even when we're in a season that feels like a desert. When we're in a season that feels like it's, everything's on the negative side. I pray, Jesus, help us to become constructive even in that season so we grow through it, Jesus. Lord, we humble ourselves. We examine our souls today, Jesus, at the beginning of 2020. God, we wanna do the right thing and the next thing. The right thing and the next thing. Thank God that you come beside us by your spirit and you spot for us. You help us lift the weight. And God, we pray, Jesus, that you do just that in this moment. Help us to lift the weight. In Jesus' name, amen.